0: All right HCC how you doing? Oh man I love it this first week in November um, fall is in the air at a balmy 80 degrees I mean I'm just like Lord this is so great and I hope you're enjoying this kind of extended uh, late summer early fall thing usually we're used to right after on Halloween becomes 40 degrees in the desert the next day. But I hope you enjoy this a little bit. I enjoyed, I was up with our men yesterday at our men's retreat and just had an opportunity to just see this group of guys who just love Jesus, wanna grow in him. And with Ricky Jenkins, our speaker this weekend was doing a great job and different uh, seminars that we were there for in the morning. Just really neat, really encouraging, refreshing to my heart, just like it is to be with you today. As we kick off a brand new series, a very short series in the month of november looking at this book of ruth if you have a bible would you make your way there and the new the old testament i'm sorry joshua judges ruth it's about the seventh eighth book in the bible find your way there and you can um track with us if you have your notes have those handy and ready to go i really appreciate our com de- team does a great job all the time kind of imagining and uh just kind of giving um just creative ideas to a series that we do and so this one they've kind of taken that idea of a thrift store and the idea of the the reclaimed value of things how many of you like to go thrifting is that kind of a thing yeah it's actually a verb now right it's not a thrift store we go thrifting it's what we do and my kids love going they'll at times go for looking for something very eccentric and hard to find other times they're going and just kind of wondering if maybe there's a treasure that somebody left on the doorstep or put in a bag and had no idea the value of it other times you're just looking for something weird and all those things are in a thrift store so i just love that idea but i want you to know from the very beginning as we think of this concept of this series and even using the motif of a thrift store, we're not talking actually about treasure hunting in a thrift store as though there was something of immense value that somebody just didn't understand and left it somewhere and now you found it. We're actually thinking of it through the lens of normal, ordinary, everyday things that are just kind of worn out. And they're just kind of, I'm done with these and someone else can maybe benefit and you put them in a bag and there they go. And imagine that person going through a thrift store and not necessarily looking for the eclectic or looking for the treasure, but it's normal things. But in their mind, what they're going to do is they're gonna create a work of art. They're gonna take the normal, the ordinary, the worn out, and they're gonna create something of great beauty. And that's what God does when he reclaims the value in our lives. We are sinful people living among a sinful people And though there's lots of things to value when it comes to a holy God, man, we deserve his wrath, but he's the one who finds us valuable and puts us into this greater picture called his church, his body, his sons and daughters. And we get a reclaimed value that we didn't have before. I was thinking of some of the art that actually comes like that. I had some visuals. Take a look at this first one. Imagine kind of creating this image out of cassette tape, out of Bob Marley. And I just sat there and I was just blown away when I saw this picture. A very normal, ordinary thing. If you're kind of, you know, under 30, those are in museums now, you know, cassette tapes. We used to listen, just this week, I'm driving in the car with my daughter, Ellie, she's 16. And she goes, dad, did you ever make a mixtape?" And I'm like, oh, let's talk. Did I ever made some killer ones? Your mom made a killer one for me. And I'm just back to my dual cassette boom box right there. Like it was yesterday. So imagine, though, taking this old-school thing, nobody even has a thing to play a tape on anymore, and making a really cool work of art. This next one reminds me of, you just look at the detail of it and you'll note just small little trinkety things here or there, but put into the big idea of just making beautiful art out of something that is just all these little tidbits that don't really have a lot of value in themselves, but brought together, they're beautiful. The third one isn't something you'd find in a thrift store but it made me think of this idea of reclaimed things. You can tell this is a while ago, that's Jackson, this height uh, in the picture. And we were up at Nike's World Headquarters in Beaverton, Oregon, and each of the big buildings is named after a specific professional athlete. And we were in the Nolan Ryan building and that statue behind us, that's what that is. And it's Nolan Ryan, um, 12 feet high, very like abstract art, right? But this is the story behind it, the artist actually had permission or somehow figured out a way to get into Nolan Ryan's garage and so everything that's in that 12-foot statue came out of his garage you look closely there's spray paint cans and there's old baseballs and just all these knick-knack things that you would have in your garage but he took all those things together and said i'm going to make a statue of nolan ryan one of baseball's arguably best pitchers ever and create a statue of things that were common to him i just thought that was such a cool cool idea so that's what we're talking about as we dive into this series forgive me by the way i haven't welcomed you here at victorville and to those in hesperia today want to welcome you to those at apple valley a big welcome to you and to those watching online we're glad you're here with us at this 11 o'clock hour today so as we dive in what we're going to do we're going to begin this book it breaks down real nicely four chapters four weeks and it begins though we'll be introduced to the first two main characters two women naomi and ruth but we're not gonna meet them at zero. We're gonna meet them at about negative 50. And we're gonna find them in a deep valley and that's where the story begins. So let's begin at the beginning, Ruth chapter one, verse one. And by the way, I'm gonna do the unheard of. I'm gonna try to preach a message at High Desert Church without three points. So let's hang in there together, see if it's actually possible. We'll find out. One, one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land so a man from Bethlehem, you've heard that name before, especially around this time of year, in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, they went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem of Judah. They went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons they married moabite women one named orpah and the other ruth after they had lived there about 10 years both malon and killian also died and naomi was left without her two sons and husband so you're like cool todd a really uplifting story i love it todd loves tragedy right this is how we start but i didn't write it and this is where the story starts sometimes as you interact with people that's your first interaction with them is in the valley and that's where we pick up the story, especially now of Naomi as who we've been introduced to. Understand the author of this book is helping us understand the historical timeline in the days of the judges. That's actually really helpful to us. The nation of Israel goes into the promised land that was promised by God. They cross the Jordan River. They seize the land and have a generation or two of faithfulness to God, but that quickly erodes and they begin just literally doing whatever they want. The text actually tells us from the book of Judges, verse twenty-one twenty-five. in those days, Israel had no king, everyone did as they saw fit. Other translations, in those days, Israel had no king, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That sounds familiar, right? Think of our world a little bit, and you kind of go, Yeah, we kind of live in this age where it's like, don't tell me what I can and can't do. Don't tell me what's right or wrong. I'm going to do as I please. Well, the interesting advantage you might say that we at least have is that we do have a, a centralized form of government and we do have laws and whatnot. This was the wild, wild west. When it says before Israel had a king, they didn't have that unified leadership. And, and what would happen is they lived more regionally as these different tribes. And these tribes are very susceptible for foreign invasion. Nations around them would come, they would decimate them, rule over them, usually 20, 40, 60 years. But then God would raise up, hence the name of the book, a judge. And a judge would be used by God in a military sense, but also in a spiritual renewal sense, and the nation would get right with God. They would be relieved from this oppression, but only within a few years later, drop off the cliff again. And that is the cycle of the book of Judges. You might remember narratives that would include judges like Deborah, judges like Gideon, judges like Samson. They all come from this period. Now, we know from the end of the book, we'll get there, that this is towards the end of that period of the judges, which is about 180 years. So imagine towards the end as Israel is approaching having a king. And in this, what we see is the catalyst for why this family moves from Bethlehem to a new place called Moab is due to a famine. It's ironic, the name Bethlehem, the word Bethlehem means house of bread. There was no bread in the house. So there's a famine in the land and this family moves. We don't read of how many other families left. In the first five books of your Bible called the law, we don't read specifically that the people of Israel were forbidden to go to other lands like Moab. However, if you were to leave this land that had so much to do, think of all the things that future generations were waiting for while they were slaves in Egypt, to give up on that, to go to Moab must have been relatively dire. And so as a result, Elimelech, Naomi, and their sons, they moved to Moab. Take a look at this picture. We're just talking theoretically, let's get a visual. Moab, you'll see at the very top is kind of a body of water. There's a, that's the a Sea of Galilee, a long squiggly line. That's the Jordan River. And at the bottom is the Dead Sea, a large body of water. You'll note Moab is to the east of the Dead Sea. And so in some ways, it's helpful to know, you'll note where Jerusalem was kind of off to the other side. That's very close to Bethlehem. That's the journey that they made. But it's helpful to know a little bit about the person in the land of Moab, just for context. I don't have time to give a huge overview, but here's at least three points moab himself was born out of an incestuous relationship between lot and his daughter after sodom and gomorrah had been destroyed when you hear incest sodom and gomorrah all in the same phrase you know there's a problem here okay this is a problematic situation nonetheless god gave him a piece of land that way you just saw on the map east of the dead sea this is moab's birthright so this is how who he is and how he raises up a nation forms around him and within that we have a couple different interactions with the people of Moab one was as the nation of Israel was coming out of Egypt as slaves they're not a nation yet they're former slaves they nations like Moab were very intimidated by them Not necessarily intimidated by them being military powers. These are former slaves, but number one, they were intimidated by the sheer number. Some estimate up to 2 million people were making their way up out of Israel or out of Egypt into Israel. But the other part is they had heard the story of their God and what this God was doing on their behalf. And so there was a sense, so Moab's king at the time, he summons a priest. Well, the interesting thing is the guy's name is Balaam, and Balaam is a priest of Yahweh. Oddly enough, he kinda comes out of nowhere. And he says this, I wanna pay you to curse the people of Yahweh. So the priest of Yahweh is gonna call on behalf of Yahweh to curse the people of Yahweh. That like makes no sense. And as a result, a really kind of comical thing ensues. And that three times Balaam calls upon the Lord. He says, I can't do anything but tell you what God tells me. And three times he blesses the people of Israel and curses the nation of Moab. So it goes completely backwards on them. The last time we see moab before the nation of israel becomes established it was in the plains of moab on the eastern side of the jordan that these people camped out before they would ultimately go into the land the book of deuteronomy happens on the eastern shores of the jordan in moab and moses offers this amazing Kind of a deuteronomy means a retelling a second law retelling of the law and it gives this huge massive body of information reminding this new generation of the covenants that god is making with them before they go into the land so these are a few things about the nation the people of moab uh, just so we know where it is that this family took off to and um and as they're there remember we read in verses one through five we read that phrase for a little while we read that a couple times they were going to go for a little while isn't it interesting how often our plans initially are to be or to do something for a little while and they change naomi would have never expected that elimelech would die in a place that they just planned to be for a little while Her sons must have been near marrying age, and whether it be out of practicality, whether it be just, I don't know what we're gonna do beyond staying here, they begin to take another step away from a little while when they both marry Moabite women. Now the text doesn't specifically, the first five books of our Bible doesn't specifically forbid the people of Israel to marry the women or men of Moab. However, they're sinking roots into a place that is not their land. They are becoming residents where they originally were refugees. So when this happens, roots are getting settled and then tragedy strikes again and again. Malon and Killian both die within a 10 year span and Naomi indeed is completely alone. This is how it begins. These are the first five verses of this amazing narrative, but they begin in a deep valley Let's pick it up, we'll go to verse six. When Naomi heard that Moab in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, like back home, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law hey go back each of you to your mother's home may the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me may the Lord grant that each of you will find and here's a key word that will thread through this book find rest in the home of another husband then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud Remember the main catalyst for why Naomi left Bethlehem in the first place is there was no food and recognize that the author gives credit to God. It wasn't just, oh, a lot of rain came or farmers did a lot of work. God provided a a new round, a new season of sustainable food. So that catalyst that drove Naomi there now is gonna now bring her back. The famine is lifted. And as she goes, she begins to pack up her stuff and initially invites or brings along these two daughters-in-law. We are going to talk so much in the book of Ruth about loyal love. And this is powerful. This is powerful when you consider Naomi, she has nothing except these two daughters-in-law, and they are actually willing to go with her. Naomi has been the exile. Naomi has been the refugee. Naomi has been the foreigner. Watch this. Now they're willing to go and be that in a new land. They're willing to go be refugees in the land of Israel to follow their mother-in-law that is a strong bond. And you will see throughout these four chapters that they will recognize the weight of being foreigners. That will be no small thing. So the reality, this is a high price, but as they get partway on the road, Naomi, maybe she just has this moment. Maybe she never thought they would come. We don't know why, but she stops and she goes, time out. What are you ladies doing? You should go back home. You should go back to the home of your husbands. I, I, of your, I'm sorry, of your families that you grew up in, and you should find another husband. Watch this. Find rest in the home of a new husband. Find someone who will care for you and meet your needs. I'm an elderly woman. I'm an elderly widow. I can't do any of that. We are talking about a society that was absolutely formed around men taking care of the women in their homes in their care. There's no headship, there's nothing for any of them if they stick with Naomi. And I want you to see the gravity of what Naomi's saying in this moment, pushing them back home. She has lost her husband, she's lost her two sons, and the only other family that she has, she's encouraging, stay here. Naomi is utterly alone. I want you to think about seasons where you have suffered loss, where you've been grieving. Some of you can relate to Naomi. Maybe you were literally in a situation where you were grieving the loss of someone and you were alone. There was no other family connected. There were no uh, people in your oikos. There were no even people in your church family that were connected to that. It was just, it was you by yourself. Others of you actually had all those things. You had family members that were walking it with you. You had people in your neighborhood and others who cared for you. You had people in your church family that came alongside of you. But even though they were there, it's amazing how often you still felt completely alone. So whether you literally experienced what Naomi did, you surely have figured, you felt it figuratively. And this is why I love one of the things that we do at High Desert Church is called Grief Share. And Grief Share is literally where you come together with other people and you share grief. We are doing an event, Grief Share happens on a weekly basis, but we're doing a special event called Surviving the Holidays this next Tuesday, November the 7th, 6.30 p.m. here at Point Discovery at the Victorville campus. And I really wanna encourage you to go. If you're walking through a season of loss and grief, and I will tell you, if this is even your first calendar year and you haven't even been through the holidays yet, they're gonna hit you like a ton of bricks. That first holiday season without that loved one is so, so difficult. Would you come this Tuesday? Would you be equipped and would you be encouraged? There's not another single person in that space that isn't going through something So there's not as though you're with a group of people who can't understand. They are there for the same reason you are. So take us up on that and find some encouragement before we get into a a difficult time of the year. Let's keep going. Verse nine, then she, Naomi, kissed them, the daughters-in-law, goodbye, and they wept aloud, and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, that's a powerful line. Even if I thought there was hope, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain a married for them? No, my daughters, that's silly. Look at this last statement. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. I want you to note the initial intent, even though Naomi pushes her daughters to stay, they react with, no, we're we're with you. That loyal love is gonna be strong. So many of us yearn for relationships where people would be loyal to us and watch this, hopefully where you can find an opportunity to be loyal to them. Loyalty's easy when everything's going great loyalty is tested when they're not and so these women in this test are deeply committed to their mother-in-law they are going to go be refugees in her land like she has been in theirs but then she pushes back another time and she says in essence there's no future with me I am an elderly woman. I'm not going to get remarried. I'm gonna come back and be um, dependent upon the mercy and compassion of other people. There's no one to cover me. I'm vulnerable. Why would you attach yourself to this? Go back home, imagine a new future with a new husband and a new family that is still available to you. And then she makes this profound statement, this statement that is so significant. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. I want you to process a little bit of what she's saying. Understandably, she's lost a husband and two sons. If we're just gonna play math, she has the greater loss. But I want you to understand who she's talking to. She's talking to two young widows, two young women who had imagined their lifetime with a husband. We don't read of any children in this account. So they were married at even such a rate that they didn't even have children yet, which is so common in this day that we're looking at. Their future was invested with this husband and he dies. The dream is over and you have a mother-in-law telling them, you don't understand pain like I do. I'm gonna tell you Naomi in the midst of her grief did not have the emotional bandwidth to be able to understand the gravity of what she was saying, discounting the grief of other people. I will tell you that's never a game to get into, evaluating how you hurt more than them. This is where Naomi's at. and, And she is so blinded to other people's grief because she's consumed with her own. The other thing is she has no um spiritual bandwidth either to have empathy for what her daughters-in-law are going through because watch this she doesn't just believe that God has allowed difficulty in her life she believes God is opposed to her those are two different things I put something in your notes to remind us of that this week while we would recognize the deep despair that Naomi rightly would be suffering It's a different thing, maybe even razor thin to think that God is opposed to you versus him allowing tragedy in your life. It might be razor thin, meaning it might not be this huge chasm of difference between God is opposing me and and God is allowing difficulty in my life. It might be this close, but the reality is those are two different postures and attitudes and heartbeats from one another. No doubt, in this space and in our other campuses and those online, many of you, some of you have felt this isn't just difficult, I feel like God's against me. This is how Naomi felt as she was traveling back home, very different than she had left. And I'm gonna encourage you, stick around for the rest of the story. Her attitude's gonna change. Verse 14, at this, they wept aloud again, a lot of emotion and obviously involved. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. One of these two daughters-in-law, loyal as they were, we don't know if it was just the logic of what Naomi said. We don't know if it kind of was the emotional pressure, like really don't come with me. But Orpah takes that lead and says, I'm out. I love you and I'll miss you and goes home. That's the first part of 14, read on. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. That is really important and really important that it's plural and lowercase. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Look at these statements. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people watch and your God, my God, where you die. I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me. And she uses his name. May Yahweh deal with me. Be it ever so severely. If even death separates you from me, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. It's a very different response and again we wouldn't criticize orpah for a host of very obvious logical reasons going home made sense but ruth ruth says there's no way i am stuck to you like glue wherever you go i'm gonna be there almost a little stalkerish you know i'm with you we're not separating at all And she goes on to say, not only are we not separating, but I'm going to embrace all the things that are true of you, your people, your culture, your land, watch, and your God. It reminds me of something we talk at HCC all the time about called your oikos, your relational world. The fact that God has supernaturally and strategically placed you among a group of people, many of whom don't know Jesus yet. And you have this amazing, unique opportunity to be a person of Jesus influence in their lives. Watch this. Ruth had come in contact with the God of Israel. She had been in Naomi's home. Her husband may have embraced this worship to Yahweh as well. And that had influenced her so much that she realized this isn't a thing now of just family relationship and being a relative. I want to be a part of your people. I know I'm the exile. I know I'm the refugee. i I know I'm the foreigner, but I want to be a part of Israel through and through, this is a powerful statement and it's so filled with commitment. It's so rich, but I want you to see in the middle of all this, these three women all demonstrate a different kind of response to loss and grief. In your notes, look at the first one. A loss that leads you away from God, not towards him. This is the response of Orpah. Because remember what Naomi said, she wasn't just returning to her people, she was returning to her little G gods. Go back and just be immersed in who you were as a people that were not in alignment, not in obedience to the God of of the universe, Orpah went back to all of that. Sometimes you experience loss and it drives you away from God, not towards him. Other times our responses to loss next, it leaves you bitter questioning God's faithfulness. Loss that leaves you bitter questioning God's faithfulness. We don't get the impression from Naomi that she stopped believing in quote God specifically yahweh the god of israel we don't get that impression all too different we get the impression she says it it's that god he exists he's just against me he's out to get me so i don't disbelieve him he is just opposed to me and as a result it causes her to become bitter i don't trust his faithfulness i don't trust his goodness And that's a fascinating place to be, not necessarily surrendering a belief in God, but definitely questioning his goodness. That is a loss, that is a response to loss that we have experienced as well. And finally, loss that leads you to embrace God. Loss that leads you to embrace God as your refuge and your strength. This is a response of Ruth. She had lost a husband as a young woman There are so many different directions that I'm sure confusion must have been rich within her of what to do, but she makes it very clear, God, I'm moving towards you in the midst of my grief, not away. No doubt as you process all three of those responses, you have at times responded to loss, maybe in all three categories. Because each time we experience loss, the circumstances are a little different The place that we're at is a little different. The circumstances of the loss are different, whatever it may be. Those are all different responses that these women express, but I would encourage you, lean into that last one. Lean into Ruth's, because suffering is supposed to lead us to God, not away from him. Verse 19, so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem when they arrived in Bethlehem the whole town was stirred because of them and the women exclaimed the women in the town can this be Naomi don't call me Naomi she told them call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter look at this statement I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty why call me Naomi Naomi means pleasant by the way the Lord has afflicted me the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me so the two women separate from orpah she goes back home they continue in the journey and they finally make it back to bethlehem as they do the town is just in chaos we haven't seen naomi for over 10 years and when she left she left her the husband and two boys now she comes back with none of them and this woman what has happened in her life and note when they ask her the question is what has happened Note: she doesn't give them the facts. The facts are my husband and my two sons have died. But when she's given the occasion to respond, what has happened? God is opposed to me. God's hand is lifted at me. He has afflicted me. Don't call me by the name you knew me as call me bitter. I want you to think sometimes, I just know for me, I've needed in my life over these 52 years, I've needed what I call a litmus test for bitterness. Am I struggling with bitterness? And I have over the course of my life. And as I've wondered in those seasons, am I someone who is bitter in this this season of my life? I've used some different tests to evaluate that. And here's one of them that comes right from this passage. When I'm given the opportunity to maybe reconnect with someone, haven't seen you since last year, haven't seen you since the birthday party, haven't seen you since our neighborhood got together and did this thing. When I get the chance to reconnect with someone, they ask me how I am and the first thing I say, I'm broken. The first thing I say, God is against me. The first thing I say, look how they've wronged me. And honestly, the people hearing that, they go, okay, talk later. That was weird. Every woman who came out to meet Naomi would have said that same thing. I just wondered what's different. And you understand Naomi can't just tell them what's happened. She tells them all, not just the feelings, watch, but all the bitterness it just comes out it's the first thing and sometimes the only thing you want to talk about when you're bitter that's the litmus test and i'm going to tell you by the way the people that you're doing life with consistently they already know this is a problem they witness it all the time you might be blind to it but they witness it in all these different conversations they're in with you when i think about those words, I also realize that bitterness is something that just seems to seep into other people's souls. The more that I am that way, the more the people around me become affected. And honestly, sometimes if I'm honest with myself, I kind of want that to happen because misery loves company. This is where Naomi is. She is wrecked, not just grieving, very clearly bitter bitter about what God has done to her, and she wants everyone in town to know. This is a powerful thing for you to consider in your life. What do you do with that? And I wanna encourage you, just at the very forefront of this series, I wanna encourage you with one important thing related to significant loss and ensuing bitterness. Look in your notes. We cannot evaluate God's faithfulness or lack thereof based solely upon our circumstances. We cannot evaluate God's faithfulness or lack thereof based solely upon our circumstances. Why? Because they change constantly. Your circumstances are changing all the time. What is horrific today many times is healed. And so we have to say, God, I cannot say you are good or not because of this valley that I'm walking through today this is how chapter one ends verse 22 so Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite again the Moabite that's going to keep showing up she's the foreigner her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning take a note at the map you can see this is the trajectory of kind of how they went below the Dead Sea and then up to the city of Bethlehem and and you know all those things it's kind of a summary statement before we hit chapter two but one piece that we didn't know until now it was during the barley harvest that means nothing to you. you're like i don't even know what barley is can you eat that right but it's during the barley harvest which happens in about march in the land of israel but the reason i think it's of great significance for us doing this series right now It's not that time of year, but we often think of the month of November and Thanksgiving as a time of harvest, as a time of just being grateful and thankful for all that God has done, and often a time to be generous. That theme will show up next week. But I want you to know this, one of the things that was so just encouraging last year in this same month, We took on a challenge to say, hey, what would it be like if we raised $100,000 and gave it all away? Gave it all, not willy-nilly, but with projects and connections to people that we believe God is working in and through and that we wanna support and encourage. And you guys were amazing. We called it GoFund Kingdom. And you guys gave not only $100,000, but far beyond and just blew our minds with your attitude, yeah. with your attitude and actions of generosity. So our directional team and our administrative board thought that'd be a good thing to do again. Now, some would say, Todd, are you kidding me? Do you know how bad the economy is right now and inflation like through my roof? I do. I'm living it too, but I will tell you that makes that opportunity all the more powerful because we're not giving because we have enough. We're giving because God is generous to us and we want to be a people. We're blessed to be a blessing. And that is a powerful thing. So we are going to launch GoFund Kingdom this weekend, just like we did last year. We have nine different projects. When you go on our website, you'll see everything about them. And similar to last year, we'll raise $100,000 that we will give away to fully fund these projects. Anything you give above and beyond that, will go back into our general fund to continue the ministry that God does here in the Valley and around the world. But we are so excited for these. And I'm just gonna share a little bit about these projects over the course of our time to get you a little familiar, at least with what they are. So when you go to look at them on the website, you'll find out. By the way, before I could even talk about this last night, there was already $2,500 that were already put towards it before we even began, which I just thought, how cool is that? This week, if you'll notice, the the title of the message is the word poverty. And we've seen that throughout this, this first chapter that these people have a poverty related to these husbands and they're going back to a space where they're gonna be completely dependent upon the mercy and compassion of other people. But i want you to know that when we think of poverty a lot of our folks are going through rooted right now and rooted had a powerful thing to help us understand poverty is bigger than lacking food or money from the book when helping hurts this was in our rooted um study two weeks ago poverty must be understood in creation fall redemption terms poverty and here's the definition poverty is fundamentally the absence of shalom Shalom is about relationships therefore poverty is fundamentally about the broken relationships with God with self with others with the creation and not fundamentally about a lack of something addressing poverty then must be part of our understanding of the work of Christ the gospel the calling of the church and the kingdom of God I just love that. And so many people in my rooted group, every time we hit that, we go, man, I've, I've never really thought of poverty through that lens. And it helps us understand sometimes you've heard the word shalom and in your mind that equals peace and peace equals a lack of conflict. To the Hebrew mind, shalom was not a lack of conflict. Shalom was an abundance of all the right things. Like we said, rightly related to God, rightly related to each other, rightly related to my world. That's shalom. And so. Poverty is an absence of those right relationships. So three of our projects, just to quickly highlight them before we wrap up today, three of our projects address not just financial or food types of poverty, but relational poverty, and I love that we're going there. Um, The first one, Victor Valley Rescue Mission, we love these guys, we work with them in all kinds of capacities. They have a truck that goes around and serves meals about 200 a week, but with the improvements that we are going to get to fund, that truck is gonna be enhanced to the degree that it can serve between 800 and 1,000 meals a week. That's an increase of four to five times. And I just think that is so cool that we get to have a tangible part in that. I just served with my Ruta group a couple of weeks ago at Second Chance Food Bank. And one of the things about them, you might notice their trucks driving around town. they are these huge um, moving trucks, but you'll note the side of them is like a moving billboard and they have a new truck that has not been wrapped yet. That's our project for them. And by the way, it was so rich being there with them a couple of weeks ago. And High Desert Church bought this, and High Desert Church bought this, and High Desert Church bought this. You guys have been uh, just so good, so generous, and putting your money where your mouth is already. And this is a new opportunity for us to help them finally the victor valley or the high desert homeless services serves meals right off of Palmdale road you know where it's at and we're going to do some things to help them revitalize their kitchen so they can be more effective and more efficient in the way they provide these are just some of the projects and we're going to talk next week as we move into chapter two about the power of generosity and i'm just so excited that you get a tangible way i get a tangible way to demonstrate that this time of year let's pray Father God, I want to say thank you for your just immeasurable goodness to us. And even as we encounter these two women today in such a, a deep valley of loss, God, there's no doubt that there's those among us who are walking through sorrow, walking through loss of their own today, grieving and, and realizing, God, they can relate a little bit. It feels like they're alone it feels like at times you're opposed to them. And I just pray, God, as we keep walking through this book, would they continue for the ride? And would they see the way you are going to meet needs, the way you are going to provide, and the hope that you have for both of them? Remind us, God, as Naomi said, she has no more hope God, you are that shining light, that beacon of hope always for us. Some of you today have heard this message of the good news of Jesus before. This Jesus that would come after the book of Ruth, who would come and live a sinless life, die a sacrificial death, be raised supernaturally on the third day. You've heard this gospel message of that Jesus did all of those things for you, but you've never responded to the invitation in the gospel. You've never responded to God's generosity towards you, because it begins a response begins with A admitting that you are someone who needs salvation. You're a sinner who needs a savior. B believing that when Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, believing that what Jesus did, He didn't do to make you more religious. He did it to make you right with a holy God. Let's C is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I put my confidence in what you've done, and I wanna choose daily to live my life following your example for me. You can make that decision today. There's no hoops to go through, no classes to attend. And I pray you wouldn't keep God at arm's length, but would you open up your arms and embrace his kindness, his forgiveness, and his love to you. Father, in this series, give us the ability to enter into these sandals, Come alongside people in sorrow this week and to demonstrate generosity. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.